when we talk about marketing, there are the four P's, right? One of them is product. And if you want to do something about sustainability, start with the product, not with the promotion. We see nowadays a lot of people start with promotion of the four P's. So they say, oh, we have this product and this service, this service how can we tell the people this product and service is already sustainable, the most sustainable product and service you can get um, so that they would buy it with us and not with, with others. Hello and welcome to Future Strategies. I'm your host, Florian Schleicher. You want your marketing to achieve goals and sustainable growth? You have come to the right place. In this podcast, I talk with marketing experts and share my own know-how on how to bring your marketing to the next level with a lot of inspiration and learnings, all without the usual hustle. So let's jump right into it. So I have been very much looking forward to this episode where I will talk with Yasmin Duregal. She's a climate and energy campaigner at Greenpeace based in Vienna. She holds a master's degree in environmental and sustainability management and is fighting for a just and fossil free future. Welcome to the show, Yasmin. Hello, welcome, and I'm very happy to be here. So we just talked about that we know each other for a couple of years already, also from different work settings, but I will come to that later on because I have so many questions for you about your take on many things when it comes to sustainability and communications as well as marketing. But let's first start with your role. What do you do as a climate and energy campaigner? So I'm a climate and energy campaigner, and that means I run campaigns, so to say. A lot of people might know campaigns from political area, but mm -hmm. we also run them in environmental space, so to say. So we try to achieve political goals in most of our campaigns. That means either that we get some laws or stricter bans on polluting and mm -hmm. climate damaging materials or actions. Or we actually target companies to change what they are producing and how they are acting. So we run campaigns to basically change the world. Sounds big and ambitious. And you currently work at Greenpeace. I did too in the past. But before that, we both had different roles. And we also worked together when I was marketing manager at McDonald's. And you were in the creative advertising agency of the burger chain. What made you change your mind and put your energies to work for the complete opposite from McDonald's, an NGO like Greenpeace is? So I was actually always interested in communications. I also hold bachelor degrees in communication management, and I was interested in how you would communicate about topics. So that's why mm. I started out actually in advertising, but I also wanted to put my energy and also my skills to a good cause. Yeah. And that's why I decided to do my master's degrees in sustainability and management. And when I was finished with my degree, I was looking for a job opportunity that would allow my skills in communications to also bring them into action for a better planet. Yeah. And that's how I got to Greenpeace in the end. Nice. So your focus now is the climate crisis. And as you mentioned, uh, shifting behaviors and getting us out of fossil fuels. So what is the real role of Greenpeace in that aspect? And what can an NGO really do? Yes, yeah, so we are fighting for, as we heard in our introduction, also for a fossil fuel and a just future because fossil fuels are actually causing the climate crisis. So 70% of the greenhouse gases are actually caused by burning fossil fuels 
that means coal, oil, and gas. Mm. And so when we manage to get out of fossil fuels, we already manage a big chunk of fighting the climate crisis. And we as Greenpeace have different options to fight for the end of fossil fuels. So we are fighting on a global political level. So mm. the COP28 is coming up in Dubai and the end of fossil fuels. And to get that into text, into a treaty, so to say, is one of our core demands that we are bringing to the Emirates this year. So we want governments all around the world to uh, agree on a phase out of fossil fuels. That is one option. But mm. that is obviously not legal binding. So in the end of the day, it also counts what governments are doing. Mm. So, for example, us in Austria, we also look at where we can get fossil fuels out of different sectors. So one very central piece is the renewable heating bill that is mm. now being negotiated. It would actually put a stop to new gas and oil boilers and also an end to the existing gas and oil boilers by 2040, making sure they switch to renewable heating. Mm -hmm. um, so that is one option. And we can also then uh, target not only, so to say, the demand side, mm -hmm. um, but also the supply side, because fossil companies are still very influential and big and also trying to push that fossil fuels are still in the system. So we are also going to the big fossil fuel companies, framing them as climate criminals, and also trying to stop expansion plans. Wow. How does it feel to have a COP in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates? I think that's quite a paradox, isn't it? It is a paradox because, yeah, Dubai is basically a city in uh, the middle of a desert that is running on fossil fuels. The wealth of the area comes from fossil fuels. And we have actually a COP president that is also CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil and Gas Company. Yeah, I've heard that. So that is very strange, uh, but we still want to give them a chance. In the end, the president should have a neutral role who actually should have, yeah, diplomatic kind of sense to bring mm. everyone around the table to agree on something. And we see some language and talks that are actually positive. So we have seen the climate summit in New York, where there were a lot of talk about the end of fossil fuels. So very positive that we get some kind of signal out of COP28 to end it. But there are a lot of greenwashing tactics around this. So mm. a lot of people say, yes, we have to invest in renewables, but they're not talking about the ending of fossil fuels. Yeah. Or they talk about the end of fossil fuel emissions. That is an extra trick. So it's basically saying, oh, we can still burn oil as long as we uh, capture the carbon that is uh, produced by this. Mm. Uh, so it's carbon capture technology, but that is also very flawed in itself. But yeah, it's a strange situation to be in Dubai. But in mm. the end, the COP is always changing from one area to another. And every area is allowed by itself to choose where it's going to be. And you also have to acknowledge that now the Asian area decided to bring forward the COP in Dubai and respect yeah. this decision as well. Are you going to be there in Dubai? It's not clear yet, but I'm definitely going to have very close look on the negotiations and also trying to yeah, campaign for a good outcome in COP28 yeah. in Dubai. So when it comes to getting real change done... Who has the biggest lever when it comes to that? Is it politics? Is it, is it businesses? Is it consumers? Um, I think we have a leverage everywhere. But we as Greenpeace do focus specifically on the political level and the companies. 
So we normally don't go to the role as consumer. We more uh, see people as citizens, so to say, mm. and their role in their political opinions and behaviors and how they actually yeah, have influence also on who gets to make the decision in a, in a state, so as yeah. voters. But we need action everywhere. It's just sometimes very tricky when we ask people as consumers to change their behavior because we see that a system in a lot of ways is not meant for a free consumer choice. So what I mean by yeah. that is when we say, oh, just don't go buy a car or just change your heating, a lot of people can't do that. You can't change yeah. your oil or gas boiler if you rent an apartment and you don't have any yeah, possibility to actually make this decision. So we more target as Greenpeace, the companies and the political level to actually build a system that is climate friendly and the climate friendly choice is also the obvious one, the cheapest one and the easiest one. Yeah. And I think also when it comes to consumers, I think there was a lot of campaigning to make consumers feel more responsible for uh, the climate crisis. I can still remember there was this campaign in the 2000s by Ogilvy and BP, where they said, okay, let's look at the personal footprint of people. So shifting the responsibility away from them who are causing actual the real damage to, hey, Yasmin, what is your personal footprint? What's your take on that? Like, because it was a super successful campaign in the end. Yeah, our take is obviously very critical about this specific case. So story that is, has been told a few times now and It actually, yeah, it's a basic question, right? What is there first? Is it the offer or is it the need? Mm -hmm. And can you really create a need by having an offer somewhere? So if you ask oil and gas companies, they say, oh, we produce oil and gas as long as people ask for it, mm -hmm. right? So <laughs> they say it's not our responsibility. We're just giving the people what they want. Yeah. But that is actually very wrong when you see how much they are trapped in this fossil system. Mm. When you see that they don't really have a choice and when there's no other offers than the fossil offers. So in the end, we see it very critical. We see what BP did in shifting the responsibility to the consumers. But we also see political leaders using this tactic to actually shift the responsibility to the consumers. So they don't want to do real laws that would actually ban something or mm. mean something in greenhouse gas reductions. They a lot of the time do awareness campaigns and this is the very easy fluffy thing to do mm. but when we look at the last 30 years also in Austria we see that those measures did not have any impact mm. quite the opposite greenhouse gas emissions were still rising until very recently so we actually yeah. need those kind of like hard policies to actually get things moving yeah so your main angle is influencing politics And in order to do that, you need to shift people's behavior. How do you communicate about that? Because you basically have a topic there that everyone should care about because it's a human crisis also, like we will feel the effects, but not a lot of people actually do care about it that much. How can you communicate that? Yeah, so I mean, there's the basic need to tell the story about why the climate crisis is a problem and what is causing it. Mm. So we do a lot of these like very channel uh, communications about it to raise the awareness. And we are in the lucky position that no longer we are the only ones, so to say, yeah. <laughs> talking about this. But we have now a very broad movement from scientists, 
um, to also, yeah, some frontrunner companies, uh, NGOs, politicians um, that are talking about it. So that is very important that it's in the minds of the people. Mm. And what I can see is that it's no longer really a debate of is climate change real or not. Mm. It's now more a debate of can we actually do about. Yeah. So there are a lot of tactics saying, oh, we can't do anything. It's too late. Yeah. Or we are just such a little country. We, you know, it doesn't matter what we're doing. So we're now seeing more the fight about how much we are actually able to do. Yeah. Where we come in and saying that it's important that everyone does something and a good role model actually in fighting uh, the climate crisis. I but yeah, in the end of the day, we work a lot in campaigning with um, PR, if you will. So mm. we do a lot of press work um, and we and Greenpeace also try not only to target the minds, so to say, with facts and figures, but also the hearts. Yeah. So when we look back at the founding moments of Greenpeace was when they documented what is actually happening out on the oceans with mm -hmm. whaling, how whales get slaughtered, and this directly hits in the hearts of the people seeing what's actually happening. And in the end, also led to a ban on commercial whaling yeah. um, after years of campaigning. So that is also a strategy to really uh, go out there and document what's actually happening, what the climate crisis, for example, is already causing today in, in harms. Do, do you think it's hard to actually excite people about real changes? I think if you communicate it right, then, and if you tell people we can actually win about these changes, I think it's pretty easy, but it's obviously a narrative that we have to fight that everything gets just so much worse. Because mm. when we talk about the climate crisis, we see a lot of politicians, for example, saying, oh, but this will lead to, you know, a decline in like standards in living yeah. and they want to, you know, take something away from us. But if we look, for example, in traffic, right, in cars, this is, you know, much debated topic. Mm. One third of the greenhouse gas emissions in Austria are caused by traffic and mobility. Um, but for example, if we take our cars from the cities, what can we actually win? There's less noise, there's less pollution, there's more space for activities, safer for our kids uh, to move around. So we can actually win a lot mm. uh, when we do these changes, not only um, having this very you know, far away goal of, of, of stabilizing the climate, but we can actually also raise our quality of life yeah and i think there is something very good in there because pessimism is easy but optimism is rather hard so it takes a lot of skill and imagination and flexibility to come up with a future also that excites us and then we say okay we want to live in that future because there are numerous studies showing whenever we tell people doomsday scenarios and when we say okay hope is lost or I've also heard this, maybe the age of mankind is just over. I think it's super counterproductive because if people have a future goal or a vision that captivates them instead of hopelessness, then they really want to do something to get there. So you already touched a little bit about that on that, but how can a future that we can really achieve look like that people can look forward to? What's the vision of you and, and Greenpeace on that? So a vision would be, it's very simply put in words, it's a, it's a just and a healthy planet and a good future for everyone. So mm. That is what we are striving. And we see that it goes quite the opposite. We see greenhouse gases that are very remaining on a very high level. We see species and animals going extinct every day. 
we also see that the gap between the rich and the poor gets bigger and bigger. Um, so there are a lot of problems um, that we have to tackle all together. So this is, I think, where we also evolved as uh, ecological organizations. It's no longer only about the animals and the planet and the plants. It's about also bringing in that social aspect of what is a good life and how can we provide a good life for everyone. I want to go a little bit deeper on that because a couple of months ago I had a chat with somebody from the Federation of the Austrian Industries, so IV in Austria. And I asked him, what's the goal of the Austrian Industries Federation? And he said, to have a good life for everybody. And now you saying, okay, we want to have a good and just life for everybody. I think we need to be rather precise on on what the wordings are, because otherwise everybody has the same vision. Like everybody wants a just and, and, and good life for everybody, but people have different visions on what that actually means. Yeah, that is very true. And you have to, like, this is the broad, this is still the vision. And then it's very true. You have to actually say what it means. And I'm uh, very sure that it means something different for the IV than it means for Greenpeace. Yeah. Uh, that is absolutely clear. And, you know, in every discussion, and here we are now, you tackle or, or you come to the, to the topic of what does a good life look like? And mm. do we actually need um, more growth and more material wealth? Or can we actually make the shift to something else? Because we see that we in the, in the global north, in Austria, we have a lot of stuff um, that is not really making us any more happy. Not everyone, of course, there are a lot of people who are still fighting to get on every day, but a lot of people still have a lot of stuff and they're not happy. So it's the question of, do we still need that much economic growth that is um, polluting the planet, that is yeah, eating up um, the resources that we have, or is there another way? Yeah. And our vision in, in Greenpeace is for every area different, but for example, for The mobility area, we already talked a bit about like getting yeah. the cars out, but then there's also the, the advantage of public transport that it's being uh, most, okay. when it's done cheap, it's also as, uh, accessible for everyone. That is also important that it's affordable and also uh, with the help of the state so that everyone can move around climate friendly and can afford it at the same time. When we look at the heating sector, This means that we isolate better our homes that can actually help increase the quality. Um, mm -hmm. I think everyone in Vienna who has been living in uh, like an, an older apartment knows the pain when there's, it's really cold and coming through like the, uh, the areas at the window and at the doors and can't, can heat as much as you want, but it's never really getting warm. Yeah. So having that retrofitting of buildings that are also funded by the state is a very important aspect and also switching the heatings to renewable ones. Yeah. But obviously for a lot of different areas, there are different visions. Yeah. And I, I read this in an article in the Washington Post by Rebecca Solnit, probably know her. And she wrote that, what if we imagined wealth consisting not of the money we stuff into our banks or the fossil fuel derived goods we pile up, but enjoy beauty, friendship, community, closeness to flourishing nature, to good food produced without the abuse of labor, And what if we were to think of wealth as security in our environments and societies and as confidence in a viable future? And I think there are more and more of these visions out there now, whereas like 
10, 15 years ago, I think there was a lot of like, okay, we can't do it this way. We need to have less. And as you mentioned also, less is in terms of communications, a really complicated thing to get across because if you say, hey, you just have to consume less, nobody will say, yes, of course, I would love to do that. And more a shift to something better, to have something with more meaning. So I think we, we need to get there. And switching now a little bit to the politics angle, there is a big debate currently in the public also about a more extremist behavior of climate protesters like gluing themselves to streets and disturbing traffic or airplanes or attacking art. So I don't want to talk about whether this is right or wrong, but I think there is a, a very interesting aspect there, which is there's this model of the Overton window. So the Overton window is an approach to identifying ideas that define the spectrum of acceptability of governmental policies. So it says that politicians can only act within the acceptable range. So what politicians, parties, institutions, and also Greenpeace are trying to do is shifting the Overton window to allow policies being made within the new frame. So how do you actually do that? How does that work? Yeah, um, it's a very interesting discussion. Um, and we also think about the Overton window a lot. So basically, you just something so radical that the less radical ideas suddenly became uh, mainstream. Mm. Um, we try to do that as Greenpeace, but unfortunately also this is not only something that is happening on the left side of the spectrum, so to say, but also on the right side yeah. of the spectrum. So we also saw that happening with the migration crisis a few years ago, that suddenly things that are not even allowed by human rights were possible to, mm. to do. Um, but yeah, we, um, we work with that by actually proposing uh, sometimes radical ideas. Um, but some, what I think is sometimes quite sad, actually, is that our ideas seem quite radical, when in reality they are what we need when it comes, for example, with the climate crisis, what we need to stay within the 1.5 degree uh, scenario and limit and to make sure that the planet is still healthy in the future. So they sometimes seem quite radical, the ideas of you know putting down greenhouse gas, gas emissions to zero, which is actually now also the vision of the Austrian government. But also scientists and everyone else is backing us up on that. Mm. This is what is necessary. So it's sometimes quite hard to still have an overtone window because mm. what we need is actually already quite radical. But radical is also a point of view. What we see in the past is that when there's political will to make the change, we can actually change a lot in very little time. What we're missing still is the political will to actually fight the climate crisis. And we had a lot of um, declarations with the Paris Agreement, with the climate emergency in Austria. Mm. But what we see is that the actions don't really fit what is talked about. And that is what we are also trying to uh, point at, that the actions need to, that they need to walk the talk. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of talking right now, and I, I found this one study that that has come to the conclusion that 90% of executives find sustainability to be important, 60% of companies incorporate sustainability into their strategy, and only one quarter, 25%, have sustainability incorporated into their business model. So my question would be then: We've talked about people, consumers. We've talked about politics. What can companies do and what can they use in their marketing? 
because I was at this panel discussion this week about greenwashing and I think a lot of marketeers, also people, want to do something good. What is your suggestion to them? How can they do something good in marketing the solutions of their companies? And what should they take away when it comes to sustainability communication? Uh, when we talk about marketing, and I also studied that, so everyone who's familiar with the topic knows that there are the four P's, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of them is product. Yes. And if you want to do something about sustainability, start with the product, not with the promotion. That's, I think, the, the most important thing to understand, because we see nowadays a lot of people start with promotion of yeah. the four P's. So they say, oh, we have this product and this, serv this service, how can we that the people with this product and service is already sustainable, the most sustainable product and service you can get um, so that they would buy it with us and not with, with others. So this is really the main part, changing the product. And um, yeah. this is also the hardest task. Like I, I won't argue that this is easy. If you have climate damaging product, let's say classic example you're an oil and gas company you have to ditch oil and gas like there's no way mm. around what we see is that they don't ditch oil and gas they just mm. make it a bit more climate friendly which is saying like the cigarette is now a bit more healthy and then we are at greenwashing so it's not an easy task if you're in marketing in a company but basically you have to take it up to the ceo and you have to talk about how you actually make your core products and services sustainable. And if you've done that task, if you've also laid out how you will go there, then I would say you're allowed to uh, communicate on that issue, but not before that. Yeah. And there's this saying in PR, one of the lecturers at the university also repeated it continuously, do good and talk about it. And I think that that very simply puts how it should be. First, you do good and then you talk about it, not as it mm. happens now talking about it and then seeing what we can actually do. Yes, that is very important. And also, I mean, sometimes we see that people, that companies would only do declarations, right? We will do something until 2030. But mm. then they also, again, don't really walk the talk or when they don't fit, when it doesn't no longer fit into their goals, they maybe, you know, change what they were actually declaring to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically. I think what we really need from companies is real, authentic and brave changes also and there are some companies actually doing that and i think it's also important to not play the game of black and white something is either super good or super bad but we need to have the progress in between and you also mentioned like each step in the right direction is a good step before i come to the final three questions if you read a lot about climate crisis about how the fossil fuel industry is doing things now what maybe some parties on the other side of the spectrum are doing. There's a lot of young people also feeling climate anxiety right now. How do you maintain hope and motivation with so much bad news out there? It's not always easy and it hits, it hits one in waves. I have to say, for me, it's a lot of the time also the job. So you don't reflect every day when you go up what your job is and what you're actually doing, so, but you're functioning a lot of the time as well. But obviously it's it's hard to read through the news that we get in constantly, for example, in inboxes. And there's just a lot of negative things out there. But I think we need to try. And we should never forget that this system that we have in place now, the way we are living, 
capitalism also is something that we as humans invented and it's mm. not even that old so it is this this track that we're on that we're so much polluting and growing and demanding so much of the planet is actually a very recent uh, thing that we are seeing yeah so we've done this so we can also change it mm. it's not something that is you know like a disaster that has been brought upon us mm. from somewhere we are actually causing it and that also gives us this attitude that we can change it as humanity and no one will in the end know how we can change it or what will be perfect idea or strategy to do it so i think you just have to try a lot and even if the odds are not the best ones um, the more people who try out different things the higher the chances that we can actually yeah turn the ship around and i always like to say you know no one actually came up with this great campaign idea of okay we set one girl in front of the swedish parliament mm -hmm. this will cause a global climate movement no but one person did something and it actually sparked something in a lot of other people and i think you can just try out a lot of different stuff wherever you're working in and see what will work out mm. thank you so moving on to the final three questions now what is good marketing for you in three words so for me it's uh, in my job i do not really do so much marketing i'm do more campaigning but there are some parallels i would say as we've talked before i think it's very important to not only talk talk to the mind but also talk to the hearts mm. so you can really get people moving on an emotion level and yeah get get them to agree on your ideas how, how the future can look like um, then i think that is also a tricky one especially in campaigning you have to know what your goal is That is in marketing sometimes more easy because you, your goal is basically to sell a product or a service. Um, and in campaigning, it's more complicated because you have to really have an idea, a theory of how you would bring around change mm. um, and then see what your goal is. Mm. Um, so to take an example, if you want people to move to more climate-friendly transport, there are multiple options and goals you could set yourself. So I actually targeting the government to make a ban on cars, for example. You targeting buses and train companies to have better connections. So it's sometimes a really uh, long discussions also within Greenpeace. What is our goal actually and how we can actually bring about change? So to be clear about your goal is very important in campaigning. Yeah. And then I think in campaigning more, but also marketing, it's then a, a combination of good preparation, but also good opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can, you know, campaign a lot around a topic and no one seems to be interesting. And then suddenly something is changing in, in the world outside and the topic is suddenly on the agenda. So for example, it's, it's a tragic example, but we were campaigning a lot around nuclear uh, power mm -hmm. in Germany. And then there was Fukushima. And suddenly, like this good preparation on a campaign with this external opportunity to actually showcase how bad nuclear power is led to the end of nuclear power in Germany as a yeah. political decision. So these will be my three main points. Great. What's the future of marketing? Or to put it differently, what's the future you want from marketing? Um, I think there are a lot of very creative people in marketing and... I would hope the future of that that area and that sector is also um, focusing more on product and how we can change product and services to be climate friendly. 
um, and then also be able to communicate about it. So I think that's mm. the it's a major task and uh, to me be more proactive on it and not only be the last one in line to then just to get to communicate and advertise stuff will be an important shift in the industry. And I think that's a very interesting point also that you made here because there is still a window of opportunity when companies and their marketing can claim a space as a front runner when it comes to sustainability and climate friendly solutions. But in a couple of years, there will be regulation and everybody will have to abide by it. So the space will already be claimed. So I think that's an interesting spot right now. And there are some companies looking into that and others, I think, are very hesitant. And in the Austrian saying also, they would say like, okay, Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. But yeah, I'm in an idea what would be better than your competitions when you already now have a look at how you're going to uh, decline your CO2 emissions. So we know that the CO2 price is rising. So it will actually also have a cost benefit for companies if they um, try and think about how to get the carbon footprint lowered within their products. Yeah. All right, last question. What book have you read recently that you want to recommend here? So I recently read a book from Leah Ippi. It's called Free. And mm -hmm. she's a woman who grew up in Albania under the communist regime and was also there in mm -hmm. her teenage years when uh, this regime changed to another system, mainly capitalism. And mm -hmm. she's um, she actually has witnessed this all and has also a very... Um, interesting point of view on that so it's not necessarily communism was bad capitalism saved us but she more has a look on what was good what was bad in both of the systems and how the system change actually occurred and i think it's very interesting to see you know this is something in albania since the like 20 30 years ago they completely changed their country and it was before called north korea of europe actually because they were very isolated from the rest of the world. They had no imports, no exports, so they didn't even know how bananas would look like until 1990. So it's actually quite interesting to think about how much can actually change in a very little time and that we are actually quite flexible as humans to adapt to new systems and think of new futures. That being said, Albania still fights a lot of different struggles, mm. but it is on a quite a good way. I can at least say that because I also read the book when I was in Albania on my holidays and I found <laughs> it a very interesting place. Thanks for sharing. So Yasmin, this has been such a great conversation. I really enjoyed listening to your calm and hopeful expertise and perspectives. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for the invite. I also found it a very fruitful conversation. See you next time. See you around. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And now I have a question for you. Are you curious how your marketing can achieve sustainable growth? Then I have some simple and exciting options for you. First, this is exactly what I do for my clients. I help them build their future strategy with workshops and sparring sessions. I also have a very simple entry offer for founders and aspiring marketing experts, the Simple and Sustainable Marketing Academy with a ridiculously cheap entry ticket price. Because I love sharing what I've learned. Lastly, if you enjoy reading, check out my newsletter, where I write about marketing, strategies and sustainability for over a thousand bright and curious minds. You can find all the info in the show notes. 
And if you have any feedback on this episode, I'd love to hear it. Please give me a rating wherever you listen, if you like it, or reach out to me directly. So until next time on Future Strategies.